0: Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, No commercials, no off topic. Now grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. Hello, and thank you for listening this evening. This is season two, and we are on episode 21 tonight we're talking about the Aramoana Massacre worst spree shooting in New Zealand for at least 29 years on November 13th 1990 a nine-year-old girl crossed the sparse yard of a man named David Gray it was just a small house in Aramoana New Zealand David Gray exited his house to scream at the child and her father, Gary Holden, left his own home to confront Gray about shouting at his kid. Heated words turned into an inferno when Gray retreated into his home. Moments later, David Gray came back outside, firing a Norinco 84S into Gary's stomach. As Gary lay dying on the ground, Gray walked over casually and pumped another bullet through the dying man's head and the Aramoana Massacre began. It would leave 13 innocent people dead, and it would be the deadliest mass shooting in New Zealand's history for 29 years. Aramoana is on the South Island of New Zealand. It's located about a 30 minute drive northeast of Dunedin. Dunedin is the largest city on the South Island of New Zealand next to Christ Church. Aramoana is a village on a sand dune split at the Otago Harbor. It was founded and established in the 1880s as a pilot station and the area would grow into a small farming village. In the 1950s it became a beach resort. It was a beautiful place for rural living. Population in the Aramoana area would hit an all-time high in 2001 with a census count of 261 permanent residents. In 1990, homes were mostly made of light and they were called batches. They were just small, sparse homes with bare necessities because these houses were usually used as vacation homes. It's a beautiful area, this wonderful ocean view, craggy mountains, these sloping, beautiful, thick green fields, and it looks like what heaven would look like, but for two days in November 1990 it appeared to be what hell would be like. A man named David Gray was its devil. Not much has been published about David Gray, who he was, what his motives could have been. Later records would reveal Gray's mental health was just spiraling out of control. He had easy access to weapons and It's possible that the argument with his first victim Gary Holden was just the premier event that caused Gray's mental state to just collapse now remember I always say people don't snap they boil on November 13th 1990 David Gray boiled over what we do know is Gray was born in Dunedin In 1956 and as an adult he wore his shaggy dirty blonde hair short. The front was sort of combed over to cover a growing bald spot. He sported a droopy mustache and he lived as a recluse in this little clapboard house. Gray existed on unemployment and his neighbors thought he was odd but harmless. David Gray was very much a loner the outsider in a town where everyone actually really does know everyone else. This being ostracized, real or imagined, made David Gray resentful. When his mother died, those around him saw a very marked change in him. Now, before he was just that crazy neighbor that we all know and have, a little eccentric but harmless, everyone said. When his mom died, he had just quit speaking to the very few friends that he had. And now neighbors were whispering that he seemed to be unstable and not in his right mind. Gray's paranoid thoughts just joined his fanatical behavior and his mind became more and more distorted. He started seeing fellow villagers as enemies. He saw them as these deceitful people who were out to hurt him. He avoided everyone, lived in seclusion in his little home, poring over gun magazines, and he was carefully building these small models of war machines like army tanks, and he was cleaning and dry-firing a growing arsenal of guns. David Gray was fascinated with guns, the military, weapons, and his stack of guns and ammunition was just growing along with the scale models of military tanks and weapons that he worked on. His collection incorporated semi-automatic weapons including the 22 caliber Remington nylon 66 and a 223 Narenko 84. The latter weapon resembles an AK-47. He had legally purchased both guns from a store in Dunedin And days before the massacre, he had called into the same shop to order ammunition. Now, the shopkeeper knew him and he asked Gray how he was enjoying the two new rifles he had recently purchased. Gray said that he had taken it to the ocean and shot a seagull. Now, this struck the shopkeeper as a very strange answer, and he would later tell the Otago Daily Times in an article dated June 28th. 2023 there was only one person who came to mind the shopkeeper stated when he heard about the shootings and that was his customer David Gray on the morning of November 13th 1990 Gray had gone to the bank and got into a heated argument with a bank teller over a charge fee he then went to a gun shop where he placed a deposit on a gun then he went to a coffee bar but he became very confrontational over the temperature of his food. Looking back, things were just seeming to build and fester for Gray, and the madness just exploded that evening when that nine-year-old girl crossed the sparse yard of David Gray. And the argument between Gary Holden was that very feared last straw. Gary's death was witnessed by his two daughters and his girlfriend's adopted daughter. After Gary was shot dead, they ran into the house attempting to hide from Gray. After ensuring Gary was dead, Gray went into Gary's home seeking out that nine-year-old girl. And as she and her two siblings cowered behind a table, David Gray shot the children. The nine-year-old girl managed to run she had a hole in her chest and abdomen from a squire's and brigham model 1622 caliber semi-automatic sporting rifle that was what gray was now carrying gray stepped over the dead children as he spread gasoline throughout the house and he set it ablaze then he went outside to wait by now gary's girlfriend was driving the surviving child to hospital initially she believed the shooting would be something accidental until she pulled up to see the flames consuming what was Gary Holden's home. Gray shot at the van as his girlfriend frantically drove away. The woman would later report she lived with guilt for years because she did not go into the home that was burning to the ground seeking out the other two girls. A vehicle pulled up at the fire and it was carrying the Percy family, who had just spent a lovely day on the beach. The boys, Leo and Dion, had ridden their bikes, racing one another and laughter, following them. Their little sister, Stacy, had enjoyed watching the surf and her parents fishing. David Gray took aim, and he shot and killed Mom Vanessa and Dad Ross. Vanessa had been running away from the car screaming when she was shot down. Gray walked over to shoot Leo, Dion, and Stacy. Of the entire family, only Stacy would survive with a gunshot wound to the abdomen. Whoever was unlucky enough to be in the area was shot dead. Aleki Tali was shot and killed. Gray forced himself into the home of a man named Tim Jamieson. He shot Tim and a visitor named Vic Krimp. James Dixon was out looking for his beloved lost dog when he fell dead at Gray's hand. Police and rescue had arrived, but they were pinned down. No one knew where the gunman was, and he was aiming to kill. Those who had been hit, who were still alive, would have to wait for a while before someone could get to them, and this included little Stacy Percy. When police arrived to rescue her, She said, please, don't shoot me. And then came 72-year-old Eva Helen Dixon. Helen was a stout woman with cotton-white curls, framing her face, and large framed glasses. She was described by police as delightful and tough, according to the March 3, 2017 issue of the Otago Times. At the time of the shooting, Helen was using forearm crutches, the kind that had the grips to slip around the arm, because she had just undergone two hip replacement surgeries and she had had surgery on her arm. She had stepped out into the road to join neighbor Chris Cole to peer down the street at the smoke that was coming from the Holden residence. Both of them were discussing what could have happened and it was definitely a bad fire, Chris walked over to the phone booth to call for help when David Gray shot him. Helen dove for cover, leaving her crutches lying in the street. Chris had been shot and he was laying on the ground. Helen was determined to get help for Chris. She used her elbows and toes to pull and push herself on her stomach. Seventy-two-year-old Helen Dixon rolled into a ditch for cover then slowly was able to crawl over 300 feet to a phone box, and she telephoned for help. The sounds of gunshots would make her jump as she was explaining what had happened. Helen, determined to do what she could for Chris, crawled back to him to comfort him. She told him, help is on the way, hold on. But concerned it was taking too long for rescue for Chris, Helen then crawled, using her elbows and her toes, into her house. It was growing dark by now, so police dispatch told her to stay in the house, hunker down, lock the doors and windows, and stay quiet. Helen Wood continued to call in all night with updates while fretting about her son, James Dixon. James, she explained, hadn't come home. Help was unable to arrive in time for Chris Cole, who would eventually succumb to his wounds later in the hospital. But now the darkness overcame the little village, and David Gray was slipping in and out through the shadows. By now he had used military paint to cover his face and arms in black. The police department had no idea where he was hiding, and residents were told to lock their doors and windows, stay low, and stay quiet. This meant families were huddling together under tables. Single parents were holding their babies tightly, shushing their cries as they sat in hallways straining to hear any noise. Older residents were mouthing prayers, hiding as best they could. And slowly, slowly, police moved wounded victims out of the area to the staging center where the ambulances were parked. Police were doing their best to set up perimeters and acquire weapons. See, frontline New Zealand police do not carry weapons, so some of them had to borrow rifles from civilians. Sergeant Stuart Guthrie, who knew Gray, attempted at one point to make David Gray surrender. Stu shot in the air to stop the gunman. Don't shoot, Gray shouted, and Stuart, thinking David Gray would surrender, lowered his weapon. Gray shot and killed Stuart who was the first armed officer to arrive at the scene. Members of the anti-terrorist squad, called the ATS, arrived in Aramaana at about 6 a.m. on November 14th. The team arrived at David Gray's home, and as they traveled, they observed bodies lying on the streets. First, they raided Gray's house, which turned up empty. The ATS then moved in two squads, doing a house-to-house search down the road from Gray's home, checking every building where he could possibly be hiding. They positioned a squad on either side of the street and moved together in tandem. Sergeant Stuart Guthrie's revolver, the sole weapon he had that night, would be discovered in a garden. Finally, the officers found Gray holed up in a bungalow. A gunfight ensued, A tear gas grenade was thrown but it bounced off a mattress that David Gray had set against the inside window. Finally, at about 5:50 p.m., Gray came bursting out of the front door of the bungalow. He held the rifle at his hip and spewed bullets at law enforcement. He was screaming, "Kill me! Fucking kill me, you bastards!" Gray was shot 5 times. In the eye and the neck a bullet wound to the chest and twice in the groin yet he fought mightily against the police breaking out of handcuffs and he had to be handcuffed with a new set even with those injuries he struggled fiercely against police one officer would later say he'd never seen anything like this and He's breaking free of these cuffs before being recuffed. He's spewing. He's shouting. He's cursing. He taunted police for not having killed him. At 6:10 p.m., David Gray died from gunshot wounds in an ambulance en route to hospital. Mrs. Helen Dixon, the woman who crawled on her elbows and using her toes to push herself, would later receive the George Medal. It was the highest award of bravery given to a civilian. Helen died in 2007 at the age of 87. And that young girl who was shot and survived after watching her father Gary, the first victim, and then the other children around her die, she married a policeman. The victims of the Aramoana Massacre were Gary Holden, 38 years old, Jasmine Holden, 11, Rira Bryson, 11, Jim Dixon, 45, Tim Jamieson, 69, Vic Krimp, 72, Leo Wilson, 6, Dion Percy, 6, Ross Percy, 42, Vanessa Percy, 26, Aliki Talai, 41, Chris Cole, 62, and Sergeant Stu Guthrie 41. The Aramoana Massacre was New Zealand's worst mass shooting until March 15, 2019, when a lone gunman made a terrorist attack on two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. Fifty-one people were killed and forty were injured. There is now a memorial for those who lost their lives at the Aramoana Massacre, and David Malcolm Gray was buried in Dunedin. That was the Aramoana Massacre. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe. Hey, listeners, my name is Judith A. Yates. Like so many of you out there, I have suffered from depression and I have been suicidal. I've also been the victim of discrimination. But there is help out there. You can text HOME, H O M E, to 741 741. That is the crisis text line. You can connect with a crisis counselor, and it's free 24 7 support right there at your fingertips. Here's how it works you text HOME, H O M E, to 741 741 from anywhere in the United States, anytime. And a live trained crisis counselor receives the text and will respond. It's a secure online platform. Thank you for joining me on this investigation exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation, $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.